How many of you are feeling like uh, you know Paul and you're getting to know his approach to life? Is it becoming part of your thinking? I trust so, because as we receive this word implanted in our heart, it begins to work out through us. These are very practical things that we are dealing with. They're not ethereal. They're not theoretical. They're proven facts of life that not just in our generation, but many, many, many generations before us have proved this word to be so and true and have changed lives from wretched people to incredible men and women of God. This word is something that is given to us, but it needs to be in us and working out through us. It's not like a comic book where you can just get a laugh and diversion from life. No, this actually faces us head on into life issues that need to be answered and the world is dying for these answers. And we have such a privilege to just spend this probably an hour uh, going through this and understanding how it applies to our lives. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will really work in our lives during that time. Let's pray. Father, I am not adequate to deliver this message. And so I rely on you. None of us in this room are adequate to receive this. But we ask that you open our hearts that by your Holy Spirit you put that word inside of us so that it becomes part of us and we can live it out wherever you place us, in a workplace, in an office, in our home, at school, in our neighborhood, on the train, going about our, our business. May our business become your business. Use these words to show us how to live out your life through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says in Romans 6, 15 to 23, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Do you not know that if you present yourselves as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that Though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. 
And having been freed from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, Paul says to us. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when we were slaves of sin, we were free with regard to righteousness. So what benefit did you then reap from those things that you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now, freed from sin and enslaved to God, you have your benefit leading to sanctification, and the end is eternal life. For the payoff or wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This part of Romans, as he finishes up what we looked at last week in the first half of chapter 6, remember we had James and Eric up here, and they had done a, uh, a performance for us, the uh, present arms salute. How many saw that? How many didn't see it? Huh? You should ask. Well, I don't know whether I can do this properly or not. Where is James when I need him? <laughs> Eric is here. Okay. okay, Eric, come on up. <laughs> okay. I don't know whether I can do this with you or not. Let's let's try, okay? Tension. Oh, oh. <laughs> Present arms. Order arms. Once again. Attention. Present arms. Order arms. Thank you. <laughs> Boy, that felt good. <laughs> I always wanted to be in the military. I really did. My son and my brother and several of my relatives have been in the military, and it changed them for the good. And... Uh, I used to think, boy, the military is just the pits. Because I lived right behind Camp Pendleton in Southern California. That's a Marine Corps base, huge base, right behind it. And I was in high school in a little church and near Fallbrook where uh, Christina went to the same high school as I did a few decades later. But anyway, the Marines would come to our little country church looking for cute girls. I couldn't stand those guys. And we had some cute ones too. But anyway, I always had a, a negative uh, opinion of the military. But reading Romans these last two weeks, studying it, I've come to appreciate there is some benefit, and Paul saw the benefit of the military and what it means in the world that he lived in, which Rome was really made up of both really two types of people, the 
citizens and the slaves. And today we're going to talk about slavery and being a slave. There is a crossover, and we'll see it as we go along here, between the military, who were the citizens, and there were some slaves who were also military, and being a slave. So let's, let's look at this. The way I've, I've divided it up, this uh, passage, is similar to what I did with Adam and Christ. I put it in an Excel spreadsheet and have got a comparison as slaves of the one whom we obey. That is what Paul describes as a slave. You are a slave of the one you obey. And we'll, we'll draw on this as we go along. This letter was written to both citizens and to slaves. Both were in the Roman church. In fact, I think all of the churches of that era had both citizens and slaves in them. Paul addressed slaves. Peter addressed servants, basically slaves. That was part of the economy. That was part of the social order of that day. Paul himself, remember, says that he was a bondservant, but in fact, he was a free man. He was a citizen of Rome. He was not a slave. But from his letter, he encourages us to think in the mentality of a slave. That's what this last part of the chapter is all about. Paul says in Romans 5, 15 to 23, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Absolutely not. Do you not know that if you present yourself as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one you obey? So that on the one hand, we have obedience to sin. If you are obeying the impulses of your flesh and the world around you, the temptation of the enemy, your friends, you are a slave in obedience to sin. On the other hand, if you are seeking to get away from the bondage of sin and into freedom, it's in submitting in obedience to righteousness. Paul is encouraging us to look at it this way through the rhetoric, through the explanation of this passage. Obedience is a key word for those who are slaves. That's their occupational place is to be obedient. That's the definition in practical terms of a slave. You don't have your own will. You don't have your own wish. That is true if you're a slave to sin. It's also true if you are a slave to righteousness. And we'll get into that. And that, for what we had last week, and what we just demonstrated of a military salute, 
is exactly the same. It equates. Being a slave is like being in the military. Being in the military is like being a slave. Once you sign up on that dotted line, there's no way you can get out unless you get sick or you goof up or you die. Or they then say, okay, your, your time's up. You signed up for five years, three years, you're out. And you get a honorable discharge. And that is the document that you hold for the rest of your life. There's no other option for a slave or in the military for your own opinion. Do you not know that if you present yourself as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? So the choices under obedience to sin is the result is death. That's where it will end up. And we'll learn, we're going in that direction and understanding that as we go through this passage. The results of sin are death. Go back to the very first command that the Lord gave to man. What was it? Do not eat of that tree. If you do, you will be sure to die. It began there, in the very beginning. And we've covered that last year, resulting in death. Obedience to righteousness, however, results in righteousness. You can't have righteousness without righteousness. That's an oxymoron to say you're an unrighteous, righteous man. And so the two do not come together. You're either righteous or you're not. You're either acquitted or you're guilty. We talked about that, didn't we? And so that righteousness is not inherent in us. Sin is. Disobedience is. But because of God's compassion, his love, for God so loved the world that he gave us the Lamb of God. That whoever receives him, whoever believes in him, should not perish or die, but by righteousness live forever, have everlasting life. That was my paraphrased version. Slaves to sin, enslaved to righteousness. In verse 17, Paul says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. And having been freed from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Okay, I'm going to camp here for just a bit. Slaves to sin. Paul says here a, a very curious sentence that I pondered for several days this past week trying to get the real 
essence or the meat or the understanding of what he's talking about. First of all, I stumbled over, but thanks to God that though you were slaves to sin. And I thought, that's a kind of a funny statement. Why would he be thankful that we were once slaves to sin? Well, he's thankful by the fact that we're not slaves to sin now. But we were. Are we thankful for that? No, we're not thankful for that situation, but we're thankful that we're out of that situation. That's no longer part of our life. Though you were slaves in sin. And he says, thanks be to God, then, that you obeyed from the heart. And here I've got this capitalized because it became big to me this week. That pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. And I looked at a whole bunch of translations of this. And all but a few kept saying the same thing as as what this translation says. That you were entrusted to. But I thought, wait a minute. Is this something that we don't understand and so you have to go back to the Greek? And as I've told you before, I am not a Greek student, nor even one that can teach Greek. I wouldn't know how to pronounce it if I saw it. But looking at the different translations and reading it over and over again and asking the Lord, show me, what does this mean? The pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. Well, here's what I got. I thought the sentence should read the other way around, saying that the pattern of teaching was entrusted to you. And of course, Paul and Peter say in their letters that the word of God is entrusted to us. Paul said that the word, the law, was entrusted to Israel. But here, this seems to imply the opposite, that we are entrusted to the word. And I thought, it's either wrong, a wrong translation, or I'm reading it wrong, or both. But I think here's what it answers. You obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. The word pattern became very important to me. Where do we have that word pattern? In the Old Testament, this is very, very key. And you learned it last last year. Have you forgotten it so soon? (laughs) Where was it? The pattern. Pattern. What pattern? Pattern of what? The tabernacle. Oh, oh, did you look up on your... Oh, no. Looked up on her iPad. Boy, you can't get away with anything these days. No wonder teachers have a hard time in school. 
Okay, it was Moses was to build the tabernacle according to the pattern shown in in the heavenlies. And that's how he built the tabernacle. From that pattern. So I was thinking, wait a minute now, what did I teach this last year about the tabernacle? That all of it pertains to Jesus Christ. Everything points to him. So the pattern is Jesus. The pattern then, even of this word, who is called the word, was in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And so, the pattern is Jesus Christ. Okay, so that made a little bit more sense to me. The pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. Okay, so this pattern, we are being entrusted to him. That is the life then that comes into us as Christians. When we receive Jesus Christ, as our Savior. We take on to ourselves that pattern, that person of Jesus Christ. So we've been entrusted to the pattern. Does it make sense? That is what Romans, that's what Paul is trying to teach us. That's a key there, folks to really understanding what it means to be in Christ and to live in this world but apart from this world and living by the power of the Holy Spirit as Jesus Christ's life through us. And Peter calls us what? We are the tabernacle. Wow! We've come full circle. And so this pattern is in us. And we've been entrusted to it. I could stop there and say, boy, that that was it. That was the core of what I wanted to tell you this week. But there's a lot more. And so we, having been freed from sin, became enslaved to righteousness. Now that seems to be kind of an oxymoron as well. You'd think that being enslaved to righteousness is not an enslavement at all. In fact, I was just talking to a brother this morning. There are some preachers that say, come to Jesus and everything will be solved in your life. It's not a slavery at all. You get all these goodies in coming to Jesus. And that is a false teaching a false doctrine. That we don't get a bunch of goodies. We may even be sent to prison. And you know what, what, folks? It's coming close. It's coming very, very close to us. You might think, oh, well, it won't happen in my, my generation. 
It is moving so fast. Christians are putting their life on the line. Not just in Muslim lands, but even in the United States. And it's going to happen here in Japan too. It's going to come to that place. And it's coming faster than what you think, what I think. We are slaves. And we are happy to be slaves. In fact, in the Old Testament law, if a slave had either run out his time of his period of slavery and paid back what he owed to his master, he could be released. And in fact, there was provision every, every 50 years. Yes, the year of Jubilee, they were set free. Slaves were. But if you wanted to remain, you took your earlobe, or the master did, took the earlobe and pulled it and put it up on the doorpost and drove a nail through it. Ouch! It wasn't just that quick shot that you get when you get your ears pierced. I haven't ever done that, and I'm not going to do that. But the point is, is that then with that mark, you belong to that master for a lifetime. And there was no way out of it. That's what enslavement to righteousness means. There's no turning back. That's what we sang at Marindra's baptism. No turning back, no turning back. That's the kind of slavery we're talking about. Slavery to righteousness. And then Paul puts in the parenthesis here, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. And uh, I don't know if that, what Paul really meant by that, but I think that he was trying to get them through this language barrier to, to really understand this concept. And I think what we're really saying here, this is the heart of what Paul has to say. But he applies it, goes on to him uh, with his analogy. Present your members to impurity, leading to more lawlessness, or present your members to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And there we have that word again. Like the military, present arms. It's that salute. It's that implication here. Present your members. Last week, what we talked about was members. What does that word really mean, members? Our body parts. Submit those, and if you submit them to sin and disobedience, leads to lawlessness and more lawlessness. Once you get sucked into that slavery to sin, there's really no turning back from that either, except for the grace of God. Because it has such a hold on you. And we've heard testimonies about how that works in your life when you get addicted to sin and allow that to be part of your whole fabric of thinking and so that you cannot get free from that. Present your members to impurity, 
leading to more lawlessness or presenting your members to righteousness leading to sanctification. Okay, here's that word again that we're going to get into and understand. Like I said in chapter 5, if you didn't get chapter 5, you really can't go on to understand what Paul is talking about when he talks about sanctification. Well, we're getting into the deep grass. We're getting into the jungle right now of really understanding what it really means to be a true Christian on an everyday basis in the power of the Holy Spirit, of the word saturating your life and flowing through you on a daily basis, not just when you're in church and you've, you've showered and you've put your best uh, clothes on and you are sitting here looking so holy and right. But when we're out there in the sweat and the pressure of the world around us, boy, the, the flesh comes out, doesn't it? And allows us to slink home. Oh. Oh. How we can relieve ourselves and come back to the Lord in confession and receiving from him forgiveness. He has and is willing, he has the power and is willing to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The word is, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. The statement here presented, he says, for just as you once presented yourself. Wait a minute now, Paul. This is really getting confusing. Paul is implying by this statement, I think, that in the same way that you lived in lawlessness, a slave to impurity, so in the same way you live in righteousness. Now we think that, well, I became a Christian and I'm immune to lawlessness and impurity. No, you're not. You still have to make a decision. I choose Jesus. I choose his way. I choose the cross. I take up the cross. I follow him. That is the daily walk of a Christian. And so when you see that thing that you shouldn't be looking at, or you think those thoughts you shouldn't be thinking, or you act in those ways that come from the devil and you're ashamed of, there is the same way in which you come. Jesus, forgive me. I come before you. That was not godly. That was not righteous. Forgive my sin. Make me pure. Make me righteous. And he is willing and just to do that. Before Christ, we surrendered our lives to Jesus. We basically were free from any restrictions dictated by righteousness. We're free 
from righteousness according to if you are obedient to sin. Free from righteousness. In other words, you can't fake it. You cannot fake it if you are not truly a believer. You may have a conscience about something that you know you shouldn't do. We talked about that. But over time, that conscience will subside and subdue itself. Be worn out. Like a drug that you can no longer, it has no effect in your life because you're overdrugged, you're overdosed. And so for those who think that, well, I don't really want to be a Christian anyway, and I'm not good enough, and I'm leaving, and I'm leaving Christianity because I can't live as a Christian. And there are many people, and there may be some here this morning, that you're thinking, I can never be a Christian by the fact that I don't know how Because I think there's no possibility that I can become righteousness, a righteous. But some people like it that way. Then they don't have that nagging sense of their conscience. Or maybe even when they hear the word of God, they're just, I don't want to hear that anymore. It makes me feel bad. When you're obedient to sin, you're free from righteousness. And you can just go right along and not bat an eye. But on the other hand, if you're really seeking after righteousness in your life and you're seeking from God to live a righteous life in the workplace, in your home, with your partner, with your family, you'll be free from sin in receiving his righteousness. And that is what we've talked about in chapter 5, that he died for us, that we would be free from sin and from the condemnation. We don't have to suffer under that. Many Christians suffer under the condemnation of sin unnecessarily. Not because they're bad, not because they're doing anything now, but because they remember what they did and they're feeling bad for it. And the enemy kind of uses that as a, a probe in our lives and causes us to come to that place where we just feel like we're never going to be free from that. How do I get it off my back? A classic story is, uh, I was going to say Paul Bunyan. Uh, It's not Paul Bunyan. Um, John Bunyan. (laughs) The uh, Pilgrim's Progress. When he dropped that load, he came to the cross. The load was gone. That was the difference. That's the turning point. Maybe some of you are right at that point where you are coming to the cross and understanding, yes, Jesus died 
Did he die for me? Was it for me that he died? Yes, it was. It was for everyone who believes. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The load drops. The memories, you'll have to cover that with the righteousness of God and his forgiveness and going deeper into who you are in Christ. It's a walk. It's a putting on the new clothes, putting on the new attitude, putting on Christ and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the victory of a Christian life. Free from sin. The other thing that I think that we need to understand here in this is no one is forced to be a Christian. We're not forced to be a Christian. Well, my mother and father made me go to church. Well, I'm glad they did. But they're not forcing you to become a Christian. You cannot become a Christian at the point of a gun. It doesn't operate that way. It might in other religions, but this isn't a religion. This is a relationship. And so it's your choice. You're free from sin. And you walk into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you're forgiven. It's done. We come to then the fruit of shame and the benefits. Paul says here in fruit of uh, shame and the fruit of sanctification, eternal life. When you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. For what benefit or fruit did you then reap from those things that you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now freed from sin and enslaved to God, you have benefit or fruit leading to sanctification. There's that word again. And the end is eternal life. Sanctification meaning that I come into a place of relationship with Jesus Christ. I am being set apart from the world. Jesus said and prayed for us as well as for his disciples in John 17. I pray that you would not take them out of the world, but that they would remain in the world, but apart from the world. And so we are set apart. We are sanctified. Sanctified, another word for that is holy. We call this the Holy Bible. Well, it's not really the Holy Bible. This is just a book. But it contains God's precious word. There's no other book like it. It's set apart. It's a set apart book. It's a special book. But through it, we also gain holiness in reading this book. Set apart. We are get set apart. That's the fruit. That's the sanctification that comes into our life due to our slavery to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Nothing more, nothing less. And finally, our verse, and I'd like you to memorize this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
is eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. Let's say it again. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You got it? Quote that to yourself. Say it to yourself this month. That's where our hope is. That's where God has brought us in our understanding that this Christian life is not something you work at. Get that out of your mind. You cannot work the Christian life. It has to come through trust in the fact that God has done an inner work in your heart. And out of that comes his life through the word. By reading his word, by praying, by continuing a relationship with Jesus Christ on a daily basis, everywhere you go, no matter what situation, it's a salute. It's presenting. We give ourselves to him. It's his life. It's what we have been entrusted to. We've been entrusted to Jesus under his command. And we walk it out in our lives. And that is what the Christian life is all about. God bless you. And may this be a blessing in your heart this week, this month, this year. This is a new day for some of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these truths. We know that we have just touched the surface. Continue to teach us, each of us individually. We come to you asking you to open up our hearts more and more so that we can receive, understand wonderful things out of your law. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your life. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.